You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate this so much, the opportunity to be able to be here with you tonight. Let me express my appreciation to all of you here at Rocky Creek uh, for my role, first of all, at Tigerville and the way you guys turned out yesterday for us. Um, we were just overwhelmed by those that showed up for the workday in the morning, those that were a part of our community cookout last night, made such a huge difference for us. We had one of those couples come back and be with us in our service this morning and mark on their card that they are considering membership in our church as well. So thank you for that. Um, we've got many other opportunities that we can build on in the days to come. But I know you're not here for that tonight, but I did want to say thank, I thank my God for your partnership in the gospel until now. It gives us a tremendous opportunity to reclaim God's glory in churches like that. Uh, and all across North America, we are dealing with those kind of churches today. Now, let me point us again back to a passage that I'm sure Taylor told you about last week in the International Mission Board presentation, and that's the Great Commission. The Great Commission reminds us that we are to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey or observe everything that I've commanded you, because, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When Jesus tells us that, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, but those of us that have studied those words know that it does not speak specifically to geopolitical nations. It has to do with people groups. And even the International Mission Board over the past few years has begun to talk about the different people groups in the world and how we need to reach out to them as well. I would say to you, throughout North America, there is that kind of need that we recognize our responsibility as the Church of Jesus Christ, just as those original apostles were commissioned with the responsibility to take that message to all people groups in all places around the world. And that starts in our Jerusalem, our Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Now, if I can get this to work correctly, and uh, we'll have to see if I'm doing it right, because I'm not sure which button I'm supposed to push. I just know I'm supposed to push one. Well, there you go. If I had that, then we'd know. On the North American Mission Board's website, it says that the church is God's plan. You are God's plan to make sure that the gospel, the hope of the gospel, is, is uh, taken to the peoples of our continent. And the North American Mission Board is here to help. Now, I, I wanted to start there tonight to remind us that it is our, the imperative Jesus gave to the church, to his disciples, to take the message of the gospel to the nations. Our Southern Baptist Convention and our North American Mission Board, our domestic agency, has been organized to help us do that, but not to replace us in doing that, right? And so Rocky Creek stands as a shining example of, of taking up the mantle of responsibility and doing whatever is necessary to see that we take the gospel to others. But we must not make the mistake, as some places I think probably do, thinking our denominational agencies are doing the work for us. We are not here to do the work for you. We are here to come alongside you. We are here to support you. We are here to partner with you in whatever way we can so that we help you, the local church, carry the gospel message to the ends of the earth. You see, the need is huge. The SBC 
estimates today 275 million people in North America alone do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that number seems to grow every year. And it seems to take more of us, people that are a part of our churches, committed followers of Christ, takes more of us to reach one person with the gospel than it did in the year before. And so something's got to change, right? Something's got to change, and we have to step up and, and respond to this opportunity that is before us. Now, the North American Mission Board was formed to be able to do this. Back in 1874, it became our domestic mission agency, and that, at that time, focused only on the United States of America. It was called the Home Mission Board originally. I am a product of that mission board. If I were to say to you that I've been working on and off with that mission board since 1977, would you believe me? I have. 45 years I've been working with the mission board from the time I was a college student sent out as what we used to call a summer missionary to go. And I have served in seven different states under five different North American or home mission board presidents um, and in a variety of different types of work from resort ministry uh, sharing the gospel and evangelism to church planting and now to revitalization and replanting across this country. Our mission board does whatever it can do throughout our country to work with our state conventions and our associations to partner with them so that we can help our churches to fulfill the Great Commission. Now in 2011, President Kevin Ezell of the North American Mission Board was given the mandate from our Southern Baptist Convention at its annual meeting that year to uh, put into action, implementation, what we call the Great Commission Resurgence. And that was a document that has now become a part of a book with some commentary and uh, interpretation uh, that has been added by seminary presidents and professors. But the whole point of it was to refocus ourselves on church planting. And so in the early years of his administration, 2011 to 2014, almost 100% of what the North American Mission Board did was church planting. And I was involved in that in the states of Maryland and Delaware at the time. And then in 2014, we transitioned to New England, heading up our church planting efforts in both of those state conventions, partnering with them in that work. But over the years since 2014, we have developed a variety of other ministries as well. Most of you know our Compassion Ministry because it is involved in, through the Send Relief effort with disaster relief. And that hits uh, where there are tornadoes or earthquakes or hurricanes that come to North America. They are on site usually within 48 hours to be able to help minister to those in need in crisis times uh, for as long as necessary. Uh, people come from different states all over the, the Union to, to be able to participate in those kind of events. Our evangelism efforts over the past few years have focused on who's your one. You know, who is that one person that you're trying to reach with the gospel and praying for them and then sharing with them in whatever way you can. Obviously, the church planting part of our ministry is runs under the title of Send Network. And you hear a lot about that, I suppose, throughout the, the, the course of our conversations, uh, North American Mission Board with you and such. And then our chaplaincy ministry, which works in chaplaincy, not just in the military, but also in, uh, in the workplace and in other settings, prison ministries and such like that. We have as many chaplains or just about the same number of chaplains as we have all the other missionaries combined in America. 
Now, I work on what we call the replant team. And when you hear replant, you think, okay, that's, that's an unusual term. It has to do with the restarting of churches that have literally come to the point where they are about to die. But it is a brand name. It is not just one way of restarting churches. So I want you to hear that uh, because tonight we talk about this. Terminology becomes very different from state to state across North America. Some of our states would call this restarting in their work, in, including South Carolina. But we use the term replant as a broad umbrella over all the forms of coming alongside struggling and dying churches, especially those that are at risk of dying within the next five years, and trying to help them turn the trajectory back in a positive direction where they will now grow again, thrive again, and reach people with the gospel again. That is our hope and our desire. Our team then will focus on these particular churches in this particular area. But here's the deal. Sometimes we talk about revitalization, and we hear people like Tom Rayner, who used to be the president of Lifeway Resources, say that 80% of our churches in America are plateaued and declining. They need to be revitalized. That's the word that we often hear. But did you know this? Tom says this as well only 20% of our revitalization efforts succeed. There are a lot of reasons for that. Some of those reasons deal with uh, the actual training and equipping of the, the leaders in churches that need revitalization. They just really don't have the skill set or the experience, the training to turn around churches and move them back in the other direction. Sometimes it has to do with moral courage because in the midst of it, there's usually a person or persons, a power block in a church that is struggling that are trying to hold on to control and when they are holding on to control, they are trying to sabotage efforts to turn the church around. That catches you by surprise, doesn't it? You would never think a church would do something like that. I'm teasing, of course. And it does happen. And unfortunately, it often happens in churches that have been struggling. They are dysfunctional already. That's part of the reason they're struggling. And this contributes to it. And then there are those that where pastors don't persevere. You know, if a pastor doesn't stay beyond years five or six, oftentimes he's going to run into conflict in years three through five. At least that's what the research shares. And in the midst of that, he may start looking for a grass is greener scenario. And if he leaves at that time, the church typically reverts back to its old habits and starts the pattern again so that a church in need of revitalization isn't revitalized. In fact, it usually declines a little bit more. This is where replant comes in because we try to work with churches that need help uh, in that, that window of time where they are at risk of dying if we don't do something a little bit more dramatic. And so I've listed here uh, a number of different options that we work with. Sometimes churches will merge. Uh, we call that a marriage where uh, the familial language suggests that both partners want to be a part of this and it's not a hostile takeover or anything like that. Instead, it's something where they both see the advantages of coming together and being able to provide the synergy for it to grow again. So you can imagine that it works best in churches where, where people are willing, hearts are open, and there is no resistance in that process. We've seen many great examples of churches that have seen that happen, and they have turned around and have been able to do some very, very exciting things for the Lord. 
Adoption is another pattern that is used. And that's typically a church that in North American Mission Board language um, literally takes uh, a camp, a, a church that has been struggling and makes it a campus of its own. So in kind of a multi-site scenario, they would say, we're going to now exist in that site as well, and we will infuse it with people, and we will stay there. It will permanently become a part of our church, and uh, it will just be an extension site, a different location for our church as it begins to spread to other places. And we can rescue that church and redeem it for God. Some churches do what we call fostering. And the fostering scenario is kind of what I think Rocky Creek does. I'm not sure they would use that terminology, but what we're doing in, uh, in the churches where Bryce is going to talk to us about in just a few minutes, including Tigerville, is we come alongside with a, a temporary arrangement. It's an arrangement that has been agreed to by both churches. Um, it's going to be for a certain length of time, and it, during that length of time, we are going to help come alongside that church, implement some changes that are necessary, uh, show them a healthy way to do church and have them embrace that, equip them, and then help them have the leadership that will take it to the next level when we back out of that situation and allow them to stand on their own feet again. That's called fostering in our terminology, where we come alongside to encourage them for that time period that will help them get over that hump. Shared space is another process where church plants will come into a church that is dying, an older church that has, has a facility where a church plant typically doesn't, and they will both meet in that facility over time. Many years, in fact, usually with the transition going from the struggling church to giving ownership more and more to the church plant, who then becomes the lead church in a number of years down the road. A legacy church is a church that says we uh, want to hand the keys and the assets of our church over to your church and we want you to continue the ministry of this church into the future and so that is a, a process that happens in a lot of churches especially in early days around the Atlanta area this is where replant actually got its name from that particular type of church as well and then the replant on your own strategy is is the hardest of all because it's the most similar to a revitalization it is a situation where a guy a church says we're going to call our own replant pastor and we're going to figure out the strategies on our own by doing our own research and maybe having some connections with the association and and the revitalization team of that association or others that can help us and we're going to little by little uh, try to see this thing turned around. The problem is the further the church starts going down the declining side of its life, the harder it is, the more energy it takes, the longer it takes to turn it back the other way. And oftentimes churches that try to do it on their own don't stick with it long enough to see that happen. So let me, let me mention a couple other things and then we'll go to the recommission network specifically. Rocky Creeks joined the army that's seeking to reverse the decline and death of struggling churches. That is part of what we do here at Rocky Creek and really part of what attracted us in this whole process. And by the way, that guy looks a whole lot like Pastor Travis right over there on the NAM website. I'm pretty sure it is actually. 
That's you, Travis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just threw that one up there because I wanted him to see that. I don't know if you've seen it or not. <laughs> and of course, the Recommission Network is the way that we try to live out this initiative here locally. On the website, you'll see all of these different replant partnership options, and certainly our church is a strategic type church partner. You can read more about it at nam.net if you want to, N-A-M-B dot N-E-T, and you can go to replanting and you will find out everything that you need to know about that. So I'm going to turn it over to Bryce and let him talk to us about our specific personal local application here, and then we'll open it up for some questions and answer here in a little bit. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, thank you. So, so yes, I am uh, so, so grateful for David and just the uh, expertise that he has provided. Probably the first meeting I was set to have with David, one of the first was on the campus of North Greenville. I was meeting with uh, two college guys. We were, gonna, we were walking through a book on biblical church revitalization, and David sat down with us and these guys who I struggled to get asked me questions for, for probably an hour and a half, they sat there and asked David question after question after question, and he didn't even know he was going to be there, and he answered it like a pro. I was like, this guy knows his stuff, and so uh, I'm so thankful for everything that, that David has done, and so as we look at uh, the North American Mission Board and, and their goal of replanting churches and, and church revitalization, that's where Rocky Creek comes in with what we have called the Recommission Network. And the reason that we've called it the Recommission Network is because uh, what I'm sure David would attest to and, and what you may even see this evening is that when it comes to any church that is in need of revitalization, there is no cookie cutter approach to it whatsoever. And it makes it... Um, extremely challenging at times to know exactly what resources each church needs. Uh, right now we partner with three churches and we'll get into this in a few minutes, but we partner with three churches and all three of these churches that we are working with, what we give to them as far as resources and how we interact with them, all three look very, very, very different. Um, and it's based off of the personalities of the people in the church. It's based off of leadership in the church. It's based on, uh, a lot of it is based on the history of the church as well. And, and so all of these are key factors that play into, hey, what are we doing? Uh, but we came up with the Recommission Network. And, and, and the goal behind that is, as David started off the presentation, is that we are called uh, to fulfill the Great Commission. But unfortunately, churches... Time and time again, they get off that goal of the Great Commission, right? They, they want to do their own thing. And, and so the goal of the Recommission Network is to come alongside these churches and help to turn them around and reorient them to where they will greatly seek after fulfilling the Great Commission again. And, and, and so I sat down and, and I just thought, and thought through what is the Recommission Network? And first and foremost, our ultimate goal is to help each adoption church become a healthy, growing congregation that seeks to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we want, right? As, as inside Rocky Creek, we want to make disciples of Jesus Christ and people who are following after and wanting to become disciples of Jesus. As, as part of Rocky Creek and the Recommission Network, this is what we ultimately want for every church that we partner with. Is, is not necessarily that they become so dependent upon Rocky Creek that if we were to all of a sudden pull a crutch away, they would just collapse. No, we, we want to be able to send out a church that says, hey, 
you get to now go and, and we want you to go and foster and adopt another church and come alongside that church as well. That, that's what we want to see is, is churches who become healthy and growing and so that they see disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so we want to do that with a passion for making disciples in the local church. And, and so ultimately what we do in, in the Recommission Network is, is we want to provide strategic resources and encouragement to these local churches. And, and I will tell you that one of the greatest uh, encouragements that I saw even yesterday is we had our Tigerville Workday. So I was so thankful. Yesterday we had 45 different people sign up from Rocky Creek to go to Tigerville. We had about 25 in the morning session and 25 in the evening session. And a few people who said, hey, I'm going to get there at 8.30 and I'll be there until 8.30 p.m. as well. And we had a few people that stayed overall. But what I could see in the faces of some of the folks at Tigerville was a hope in what they were talking to me about in the revitalization of their church that I had not heard since I first met them. But last night, it seemed like for, for a couple folks, it, it clicked with them. Like, hey, this is, this is awesome. This is great. We are seeing progress. And so through strategic resources, we want to offer encouragement. And ultimately, that comes through us giving different advice through things. And so what we kind of do um, with these strategic, strategic resources and encouragement is we do a, a few different things that I want to quickly go through. Number one is visionary leadership. And so at Cedar Grove is a little different because I started as a interim pastor at Cedar Grove. Uh, some of you may not know this. I agreed to preach at Cedar Grove for six months and it has been two years and one month, and I am still there. Uh, and so it looks a little different because we, we start, I started preaching at Cedar Grove before there was any formal partnership with Rocky Creek or anything like that. But at Woodside and Tigerville, we have teams that are revitalization teams. And so it's a few folks from those churches and a few folks from Rocky Creek that get together once a month. And basically every change that's going to happen in the church goes through that team. So some meetings talk about facility updates. Some of them talk about what are we going to preach on next, mission projects, anything and everything goes through that team. And the reason we do that is because, as, as David said, um, and, and, and what's so difficult about these churches is there is a reason that these churches are in need of revitalization. And oftentimes they don't realize it's because of them that they need revitalization. And it's really hard to, to sit there and say, hey, it's because it's of you, right? They, they, they don't see it, and, and so you have to lovingly kind of help them with that. But what happens is we bring a few folks from Rocky Creek to come along, and, and so they help and offer encouragement and say, hey, this is, we've done this before at Rocky Creek. This worked great, and we, let's try this out this way. And, and so as David said, one of the hard parts of revitalization is the pastor having the longevity. But when you have a team that's able to come together and you know at least half of that team is in support of what is happening, it makes it a lot easier on the pastor in so many different instances. So visionary le leadership. Another one is kingdom investment and making sure, hey, what are we using our money for? Are we using these things wisely? And so even at Rocky Creek, um, there is... One meeting that we were in, and, and, and Travis said it so well, is they said, well, are you going to pay for our new air condition? Travis said, no, we're not. But what we will do is we will offer you a couple of people to come and intern with you. Why? Because we will invest in people, and those people will make a greater impact on you making disciples than a new AC unit will, right? 
And, and so that's always our goal is, is to find the, the greatest way to have the largest kingdom investment in helping these churches make disciples. And so that comes together with coordinated preaching. It's so wonderful uh, that this morning all four churches uh, all preached on Luke together. We all preached and, and saw the differences in the Pharisee and, and the tax collector. We all saw those things together. And, and what that really creates is um, I will actually be preaching at Woodside this coming Sunday. Ben Johnson, one of our recommissioned residents, will be preaching at Cedar Grove. And so it makes it very easy that the churches don't lose any momentum and, and residents and interns of ours get so many more preaching uh, reps as, as well. And all of these churches get to hear different voices in those things as well. Equipping ministries. Uh, this morning at Cedar Grove, we had 12 kids at Cedar Grove. And that would not have been possible if it was not for a Rocky Creek church member. Yes, it is. It is a wonderful thing. It is. Um, but that would not be possible if it was not for a Rocky Creek church member who said, hey, I will start coming to the five o'clock service, but in the mornings I'm going to go and I'm going to serve at Rocky at Cedar Grove so that we can have these kids and these families. And, and that's what it takes. And so we're able to go in, and to offer different ministries for those things. Uh, a church member at Rocky Creek is currently teaching Sunday school at Cedar Grove. Uh, there is a church member at Two, actually, of our church members at Rocky Creek helped lead the Woodside Summer Camp uh, this past summer, where we had, I think we averaged about 13 kids. And in fact, at Woodside, over the past year, they have seen three baptisms. And all three of those baptisms came as a result of the summer camp that, happened, that started last year at Woodside. All three of those kids, uh, students, got involved with Woodside because um, an intern from Rocky Creek partnered alongside Fuge with Lifeway and came and, and they served at Woodside and those students got involved and they heard the gospel and they accepted Christ there. And, and, and so we see all of these different things. We focus on discipleship groups and, and we focus on intentional missions. You may remember last November when we did six weeks focusing on Miracle Hill. And so people at Cedar Grove, people at Woodside, and people here at Rocky Creek were all able to give. And we filled a truck full at Miracle Hill for those things. And that's the first time in probably five years that Cedar Grove had done anything with missions whatsoever. That, that was the first time. And, and so we want to help these churches who, again, have lost focus of what it means to make disciples, of what it means to follow the Great Commission. And we want to help reorient them and push them to those places. So uh, as I said earlier, we do. We have three churches and three very different methods. Um, at Cedar Grove, we're going to start right in the middle. Cedar Grove functioned a lot more as a restart. It was in the height of COVID, as Pastor Travis said, and so when we got there, I, we, we had no worship leader, no music whatsoever, and so we basically, on Sunday mornings, I met with three ladies, and I would share some sort of short message, and then we just prayed for about 45 minutes, for a month, that's all we did. We, we sat there, we studied the Bible, and we prayed, and it was the probably some of the oddest worship services I had ever been a part of, but none of this is possible if we're not bathing all of it in prayer. And so that's what we wanted to focus on, and that's where we got. And so I started at Cedar Grove in July of 2020, and then in August we restarted services. And we had a worship leader there, and I can tell you that the music that started was much different than what they had in the past. 
Some of those things look a lot different. Our children's ministry, our curriculum, all of those things look differently. But thankfully, uh, we have seen wonderful growth at Cedar Grove. At Woodside, we have... Um, Woodside has, has been interesting. Uh, no cookie cutter approaches whatsoever, as I said earlier. Uh, but we are on our uh, second or third interim pastor at Woodside, and he's out for eight weeks with shoulder surgery. And, and so when I say, um, when they say the devil is in the details, in church revitalization, you definitely, you need prayer because the devil tries to work his way in all the details. Um, we, we can say that. And even at Tigerville, uh, we, we have been blessed. It's a much different approach because the team can have such a large impact on a revitalization team. But it is a huge help to have Pastor David here and to say, hey, what direction do we want this church to go? Well, it, it looks a lot different in Rocky Creek's um, and Rocky Creek's partnership with these churches really based off of who are we getting to communicate with? The whole team, the pastors on board, we get to work with all of these things. And, and that's why I'm thankful for the, for the partnerships and the churches that we have, because I'll, I'll share with you, uh, with the Greenville Baptist Association, I'm part of the revitalization team uh, on the Greenville Baptist Association, and so we actually met with a pastor of a church a few uh, months ago, and we recommended that they go through a revitalization process uh, but some of his church members actually contacted the GBA about it. And we saw a great need for revitalization in that church. And the pastor said, I, I want nothing to do with that. I'm going to preach here for another year or two until I retire, but I don't, I don't want much to do with that. And, and, and that is the, that's, the, that's the sad part of, of oftentimes why church, churches die is, is they say, hey, we know we're dying, but we don't want anything. We don't really care. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing until we get there. And so that's another reason, and, and I will say, David made the point that it's not up to the denomination to do all the work. They just want to offer resources to the churches. And, and what I'll share with you is we are in a wonderful association in the Greenville Baptist Association where they actually started the Center for Church Revitalization. And so both of our recommissioned residents, Ben Johnson and Jesse Hack, who have been residents at Rocky Creek for the past year, they are actually, um, they're still going to be with us because Jesse Hack is pseudo staff at Woodside as well, but he's actually starting as a resident with the Greenville Baptist Association as well. And so that is a pretty much 20 hour a week job where they are going to get intensive training on what does it mean to be a revitalization pastor. What does that look like? And so they can be sent out, and, and so they can help multiply revitalization pastors. And Rocky Creek gets to play a part and has already played a part in the growth of those two young men and, and helping them continue in their ministries as, as they get older. And, and so that's a wonderful thing there. So I'm going to skip, uh, for time's sake, um, to how can you get involved? Um, what does it mean for you to get involved? Well, first and foremost, again, revitalization isn't possible if it is not bathed in prayer. So pray, 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 and pray for particular replants and their leaders. Right now, uh, in Recommission Network, in our partnering churches, if you include Rocky Creek, there are four churches. In most months, there are four weeks in a month. Take one church and pray for that church every single week. And, and, and cycle through those and pray, 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 and pray for their pastor. Because as David said, longevity of these revitalization pastors is difficult. The problem is, uh, rarely, if you stay at a church 
for five years, after that fifth year in revitalization, that's when you will start to see progress. Okay, hear me. That's when you start to see progress. That's not when it's all turned around and you're good to go. That's when you start to see progress. It's five years. And so I, I can tell you from being at Cedar Grove for two years, uh, five years is a long time because two years feels like a long time many, time, many weeks. And so pray for those particular replants. Next, encourage replanters and their families. And, and encourage them, offer them, you know, oftentimes uh, replanters, revitalization pastors, they go into meetings uh, once a week, once a month, and they know the meeting that they're going into is going to be a hard meeting. Because it's not, Pastor, that sounds like a great idea. We should do that. It's, well, Pastor, we've never done it that way before. Why do we need to change it now? That's, that's generally the difference in what is going on. So, so be encouraging where you can because many pastors do not get encouragement from their congregation. Number three is serve as a volunteer. Uh, at Tigerville, there is the children's ministry is led by a Rocky Creek member. As I said right now at Cedar Grove, we had 12 children this morning. We only have one person working with that, with, with that family. The second person is their mother. And so their mother spends all week with them. This is a homeschool family. Their mother spends all week with them. And she is not able to be fed right now on Sunday mornings because she has to go and help with those kiddos. And, and, and so uh, thankfully that is her mission field. She feels called to work with those kids. And, and so she loves it. But, but there are many places just within Woodside, Tigerville, and Cedar Grove where you can easily join in. And if you can't join in long term, again, we have these work days. We had one at Cedar Grove a few months ago where we saw a tremendous turnout. And then yesterday at Tigerville as well. And, and just serving in those capacities is a huge encouragement to the church. And then next is to join the core team of a new replant. Um, and so we don't have another one in the works yet that I know of. Um, but when we do, when you hear wind of it, say, hey, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. Uh, because the deal is, um, the more that churches that we partner with, the thinner every, everybody spreads just a little bit, right? Um, right now with three churches, I attend about three, uh, three different meetings a month. And so that's one a week, and generally they take place at night. And so it, it, it starts to take a toll. But the more workers we have, it cuts down on that work and on that labor a little bit. And number five, I didn't put up there, but number five is to give. Um, you can, number one, give of your time, whether it is in prayer or service. Um, but the hard part of church revitalization is knowing that it takes a spiritual change for anything to happen. The problem is many churches and many members of churches say, hey, if we just pay to get a new air conditioning unit, if we repaint our facility, more people are going to come. They don't realize, many churches don't, don't realize that they're spiritually dead. So they think as long as they put new paint on the walls, it's going to help. And that's not what's going to help. What's going to help is the Lord taking care of some hearts and some repentance and some turning back to, to the Lord. That's what ultimately is going to help. But new facilities can help also. Uh, they, they really do. And so I can even say I know that my wife with my son, uh, that's the first thing she cares about when she looks at a church is, is my two-year-old, is he going to be safe where he's at? Does, are there adequate things for bathrooms? Are, are, are those things are important to 
families. Um, and, and so sometimes those things need to happen. And so you can uh, always uh, give to that. If you want to give, if you give online to Rocky Creek, if you go onto that portal, there is one there for Recommission Network um, and those things, things as well. Um, but what the North American Mission Board does is so important. Um, even through the South Carolina Baptist Convention, there were... Um, Bob Bigford, who's on staff of the North American Mission Board, um, him and another man, Jimbo Stewart. I'll never forget his name because I love his name so much. Um, but they even came a few months ago, and there was a revitalization summit in Columbia that pastors got to go to. And, and because the big picture and the reality is I went to four years of college where I majored in Christian studies. I, it took me four years to get my seminary degree, and it was not until a month before I graduated seminary that I heard the word revitalization. Didn't hear it. It, it wasn't a thing. Um, and, and, and so we have churches that are dying left and right. Um, but sometimes um, and, and oftentimes planning a church is the fun thing to do. Because, in my opinion, while planning a church is hard, it's the easy thing to do. So many times people say, well, why do I need to take my time to feel like I need to argue with these people when I can just go do it my way somewhere else? Well, because you can go do it your way somewhere else, but there's still going to be people who think they're close to the Lord that oftentimes are far from God. And, and so that's our heart, is, is we just want to see people um, worship the Lord, and, and we want to make disciples of Christ, and we want to help churches make disciples. And, and so that is my goal, is Cedar Grove. Uh, we started with three this morning. Um, I believe we had 25 uh, that sanctuary can probably only fit close to 100. So my goal is that within the next 10 years... I like claps. Those are good. Um, <laughs> my goal is that in 10 years, Cedar Grove has 75 people, and they say, hey, we can't build anything else, so let's go find another church that needs help. And let's send 25 people of, of our people out, and let's go help this other church out. That, that's my goal. That's what I want to see. Um, before we do a Q&A, I just want to share, um, I, I want to say that Rocky Creek has been great through all these things. Um, every time there is a need, Travis says, what's your need? I got somebody that can fill it. We always have those things. But um, I, I do want to share, there's a new church planner that has recently come. Uh, he's going to be planning a church. Um, I forget exactly where now, but uh, it is a church that, it's an area that desperately needs a healthy Baptist church or a healthy church in, just in general in Greenville County. And he's moving here, and he is moving here with 80 people from his sending church and $1 million. And I said, I'll go, go play the church. That sounds easy to me. Um, but we, I, I say all that because they have so many obstacles. But there are so many spiritual obstacles that church planners and even church revitalization people need to take care of. That when, the, that when there are needs that can be met by other church members, it makes it so much easier for people to say, okay, these are the needs we can meet. Let's keep working through those things. Um, and, and so I love to dream about that and, and to see what the Lord can keep doing. And so I want to tell you at Woodside, we have had, uh, in the past two years, we've had three baptisms. Tigerville, uh, they have a baptism Sunday coming up August 7th, um, I believe. We have maybe one. Oh, we have three. All right. So we have three there. And uh, at our Cedar Grove work day um, a few months ago, I'm going to get teary-eyed on this one. Cedar Grove work day a few months ago, 
found out that the plumbing to put water in the baptistry at Cedar Grove uh, did not work. So we can't get water there. And I got the privilege to text Travis this morning and say, hey, we need a plumber ASAP at Cedar Grove. Um, so that is huge that we are seeing spiritual progress at all three of our partner churches. The work we are putting in is not in vain. The Lord is doing a mighty work. And it may come in little increments, but he is working. And so I just want to celebrate that. And I've gone over my time, and I'm so sorry. Um, I'll say that again. We need the baptistry fixed because what? Oh, because we got a baptism coming up. Come on. So, um, so I'm going to ask David to come back up here uh, for a short second. And if anybody has any questions for him... Or for myself, we are more than happy to. I have a question. Well, the 12 children, they're, they're in the boat. Yeah. Are they yes, that is correct. Uh, Sure, yeah. So all the children that are currently coming to Cedar Grove are part of one family, a very large family. <laughs> um, it is. Um, so we have, and, and one, of the, one of the difficult parts of church revitalization is um, I, I've been looking for someone to work in children's ministry at Cedar Grove for the past two years. Because when we first started, there were three families that had kids who... Um, they would come to the service, but then they would have to walk out about halfway through because they couldn't keep their kids. But I just had to apologize. I'm sorry. I don't, we don't have anybody, right? Um, and, and this is where history comes in, and history is so important. One of the reasons that Cedar Grove got down to only having three people is because they had a big issue of who was in charge of their children's ministry. So it's not as easy. We look at it on the inside and say, well, just put somebody there, right? But it's, it's not that simple in church revitalizations. You can't just say, oh, yeah, this, this makes sense. Let's do this. You always have to think about what are the ripple effects of every single decision that you make. Because there's history there that you have to find out. Um, so I say all that to say right now, uh, these kids are all part of one family. We know of three other families with children that at one point attended Cedar Grove. One of those families has plugged into another church, but the other two are currently not going to church anywhere. Uh, so we've been reaching out to them every week, inviting them. Um, so you can definitely pray for those two families that they will, uh, they'll come and join us. Because now that we have something for them, uh, we, we want them to, to get reconnected with us. So... Yes. And, and in fact, um, I believe it was Tom Rayner, um, who, again, used to be uh, president of Lifeway Research. And he, uh, one of the research things they did, and they found that for a successful church revitalization, the number one thing is children's ministries. That's the number one thing that gets put, put in place uh, for successful ones. So it is extremely, extremely important. Yes. Anybody else? Course. I know America's changing in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Part of that is rural areas are becoming less and less and more urbanized. So when you get requests from some rural areas, I know I go, you'll drive through and say, 
how does this area then support the churches in our area? Mm -hmm. So how do you kind of determine somebody comes for help and you say the area around you still needs support or whatever and, and so they're kind of deciding you've got to recognize the reality. Well Tommy I don't think we say that. What we do say is you know the Lord your, your address is not an accident God wanted this church here in the first place. And so we try to come alongside them and figure out how we can help them sustain it. And so one of the things North American Mission Board has done this year is create the, the NAM Rural Hub online, which is a whole lot of online resources that have been given by other churches across the country for free for use in rural settings. So they're trying to supply them with the uh, the curricula, the, the graphic art, the, the strategies, the, those kind of things that can help them, including uh, a downloadable hymnal that they can use that has guitar chords and things like that that can be fairly easily picked up by certain individuals that uh, a church may have to help them in that work. Now, communities change, like you said, and economically they can go uh, in a reverse direction. Um, I, I recognize that, and that's where partnership comes in, like Rocky Creek. So we look for churches around them. Uh, Andy Addis's church up in uh, Kansas comes to mind because he's come alongside somewhere between eight and 12 churches to help them in rural settings in that kind of way, walk alongside them, encourage them, help them get back on their feet and sustain them. We find the, the fostering model to be a very sustainable model and a very encouraging model to a lot of the churches that are afraid of giving up their autonomy long term. They, they, they believe God called them into existence with a very specific purpose, and I do too. And they want to live that out, but they need some help getting back on their feet. And so we, we look for strategic church partners like that to help them do that. Does it, does it rescue every church? No, it doesn't. But the sad fact of the matter is, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention loses 600 to 800 churches every year. And we only replant right now about 135 to 165 a year. So we are able to reclaim that many of churches that would have died if someone didn't come alongside them. That number needs to go up. It needs to go up every year. And so that's our goal and our hope and our dream. Mm -hmm. Another question, anyone? Well, let me just say, uh, and you expect this, I suppose, but let me say thank you for your uh, participation, not just in learning about what we do, but also in supporting the cooperative program and the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. It makes all the world of the difference for your missionaries out in the field. We have 6,000 missionaries that are both, that includes our chaplains, but also our missionaries across the country. And one of the greatest things that we've been able to do in the last number of years, of course, is have some urban ministry to go alongside that rural ministry, which we did not have very successfully in times past in Southern Baptist life. So thank you. And thank you for letting me and my wife, Joy, who's here with me tonight, uh, be a part of this church family. We love Rocky Creek, and we are so thankful that you guys have let us uh, love you. Okay? Thank you. Hopefully, if anything, this is getting you excited about what the Lord's doing, allowing us to be a part of, and uh, it's just so uh, incredible to think about, um, you know, uh, one of the churches that we were trying to help at one point 
Gloria walked in and we were, um, I got my family to help a church clean up on Saturday because the guy who was volunteering to clean up had hurt his back and they were worried the church was going to be a mess. And so we walked in there one day. Gloria was uh, tinier than she was now and she walked in. She's like, well, this room looks okay. We don't need to clean this. And the guy said, that's because it's our nursery. No kids have been there in a long time. And her eyes just got huge. And she said, well, we need to pray that some kids will show up then, don't we? And so we just sat there and prayed. And so I think what was so neat was last night at Tigerville, just seeing the different generations that had been there, uh, from a five-year-old that was um, spreading mulch in the front yard to um, some uh, 10-year-olds that were going out there and holding out signs to people who were hanging stuff, doing things, you just name it. So it's incredible to be a part of. And if nothing else, at the end of all this, it's going to be pretty special to even walk by if there are churches that were on life support, we got them going, and then we just kind of step back and let them go if that's the end, but just say, we got to be a part of that. And uh, that's pretty special. And so um, I think for you two men, for the way you lead out, it's pretty awesome to think about. Uh, we got we got to get plumbers in business to get some baptistries fixed. I haven't been using a long time. And I pray that that's something we just keep having to do. So, Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, these two that have led out. Thank you for David and Bryce and the way that they do lead in so many capacities. Thank you for sending both of them to this church at this time. Uh, and, Lord, uh, for the sake of your big C church, we want this little C church to serve well. And so, Lord, we uh, pray that uh, we would not just seek to build as much as we can here on this little corner of Woodruff Road, but that our church's influence and uh, work would be spread beyond to even churches where uh, people may not even know that we're involved, but just for the sake of your kingdom, we're going forward and we get to be a part of it. So, Lord, I pray that you uh, bless the efforts of both of these men uh, for our church and the North American Mission Board uh, as we go forward and follow you until you come back. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.